Omajana Trimananda Shah, Janajana Salakaya, Chakshun Nilitanyena, Tasmai Shri Guravenamaha, Panchakoptu Vishcha, Kripas and Vivacha, Patitanam Pamanebio Vaishnavijinamonamaha, Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya, Om Namo Bhagavati Vasudevaya. Nasta preeshu abieshu nicham bhagavata sevaya bhagavat uttama shloke bhaktir bhavati naistiki. So, good evening everyone. Thanks for coming. Uh, we're discussing the satsandarvas of Srila Jiva Goswami. And we are in the middle of the Tattva Sandarbha dealing with ontology, that which is knowable. And specifically for our tradition, that which is knowable towards a effectuated upliftment of consciousness or alignment of consciousness which, which with the Supreme Consciousness. This constitutes three aspects this alignment of our consciousness, uh, sambanda, uh, understanding the nature of reality and uh, our specific relationship with that supreme reality, the methodology of a turning of consciousness to that absolute reality, and the ultimate fructification of a complete alignment with that supreme truth. So Jiva Goswami in this second part of his Tapas and Dharma where he talks about what is knowable as we've explained in the last uh, couple of classes covering those sections of his Tapas and Dharma Although the, these three items, Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan, are throughout the Srimad Bhagavatam, he begins his discourse regarding the nature of that supreme truth and how to effectuate a, a, a re-enlinement of consciousness by specifically discussing the revelations of both the speaker of Srimad Bhagavatam, Sukadev Goswami, and the author, Srila Vyasadev. And he begins this second section of his Tattvasandarbha talking about Srila Vyasadev's revelation. First, pointing out he was he was already he'd reached the epitome of perfection. All that all that a human can be, by his own effort, he has he had achieved. He was a jivan mukta. He was completely free of the influence of the external energy. So the modes of material nature no longer had any influence upon him. 
He was a perfected being as far as a being can be perfect by the method of knowledge. The, a, a knowing of the self and a knowing of the self that results in actions of the self whereby entanglements in the modes of material nature are completely severed. So he is a wide-eyed samadhi. He was in the world, he was seeing the world, but he was not of the world anymore. It was not having any influence upon him. So, perfect. Jivan Mukta, perfect entity, perfect living being. It doesn't get better than that. To be in the world and not entangled in any of the suffering and the miseries of material existence. That is the epitome of human perfection. And he had achieved that. So Jiva Goswami, he highlights, well here's here's Sukadeva Goswami, perfect in every way, as far as we could see a living entity perfecting himself, the Jiva perfecting himself within the material realm. But over and above that spiritual bliss, that spiritual perfection, that complete contentment that he had, despite that, when he heard the transcendental vibration, and this is very significant, understand sounds of the world are no longer attracting him. Sights of the world no longer have any he has no no attraction there. Whatever the world the feeling of the world, he he has no no sensual desire for that. Smelling, seeing, touching, tasting. All that's gone. But still by oral reception of the transcendental vibration of the Bhagavatam, he's attracted. How could he be attracted? He's already given up all material. So this revelation speaks to highlight that significance of the transcendental vibration of the Bhagavad Purana, this specific Purana. So it attracted him. In one verse from the Bhagavatam, so spoken by... Uh, Sutta Goswami, this is highlighted. And then Jiva goes forward from there, and that to speak of the revelation in Samadhi of Srila Vyasadeva. What was what did he experience? in full concentration in samadhi what did he experience um, of the supreme that led him to pacify his heart's desire 
he had a desire as a Muni, as a sage, as a sadhu to do some good for humanity and seeing the effects of Kali Yuga on humanity he ascertained that the most significant contribution that he could give was Vedic knowledge in a way that humanity within Kali Yuga could take advantage of it because the shortcomings he could see what was there it was quite evident now mankind is short lived there I forget the exact sloka but in, in the Bhagavatam it says they had these characteristics they were short lived they were unfortunate uh, unlucky. Uh, unlucky. Always disturbed. Yes. Always Yes. So, these were their disqualifications. So he he saw in that where he could offer some, make some offering for their upliftment in Kali Yuga, and he did that by writing down all the Vedas, which had prior to that time all been transmitted through oral reception from master to disciple master to disciple so he wrote down the, all the Vedas wrote down all the Puranas the Upanishads the Vedanta Sutra throw in a good story the Mahabharata that should keep him busy for the people that can't even pick up on the final, finer, finer points of the Upanishads and the Puranas you know, let me give them the Mahabharata, which is like a, it's a big yarn and it'll cover most everything that mankind would want is included in that. So also understand the period, the period of time where he did this. There wasn't any movies. There wasn't any TV shows. And there wasn't any internet. So people, people gathered around and read these narrations somebody would narrate and they would sit around and, and hear these stories just as we would, we would jump into our vehicles and run to a theater when a, move, move, a new movie would come out. They would run at the end of the day to the village center and they would hear someone narrate these stories from the Mahabharata. And they would hear them or some, they would even enact these narrations. They would hear them and then the actors, they said, well, let, let me take, let me convey the same story. And a few people would act out the story. So it was like, you know, there's a new release now. Here's a new release. Or someone different, different you know, we have a new sadhu that's going to relay certain stories. And they always have their own specific way of speaking and relaying the information and the, the same stories there, but they always give some nuance based on their revelation, on their understanding. Maybe they even have some material talent. They're a good storyteller. So it's, oh, let's go. He's a good storyteller. He's not like that old guy. It's boring and just, you know, this is a young kid. And he's, you know, he's lively. And when I, he talks about, uh, you know, the Pandavas and the wars, it's really exciting. So let's go listen to him. And he travels from village to village. So 
just like we run to the theater to see a new movie, they would run and they would hear the stories of the Mahabharata. This was Vyasadeva's contribution. Let me give something for the upliftment of mankind. Let me give them a written history. And also let me give them the Vedic knowledge in a written form where they can, because of their short memories, they can always go back to the book and pick it up. Remind themselves what was that important instruction, that life lesson. And they can read it repeatedly. So if they're at a certain period in their life, it may not be a teachable period, but then later in their life it may be teachable for them. They may be in a situation where they can hear. We can relate to Chitraketu. Chitraketu only wanted one thing in life. He wanted a son. You could not speak to him about anything except fulfillment of that desire. Who is it? Angira movie? Hmm? Angira's wed and he's, I'd like to give this guy some spiritual knowledge, but it's no way. It's only one thing on his mind. He wants a son. When there's only one thing on that guy's mind, he wants a wife. And there's only one, one thing on that wife's mind. She wants a daughter and all these things are there. It's not a teachable moment for spiritual knowledge. So let me, you know, the sage may fulfill the material desire so that it's resolved. And then we can talk about the basics of the teachings of the Upanishads. You're not this body. You can give up suffering if you give up desire to enjoy, to exploit, and just become take on a servant mentality. The Puranas are presented. They're presented to people, and they're in three divisions. For people that are sattvic, for people that are uh, rajic, tamasic, three kinds of Puranas. So Vyasadeva doesn't feel, he's not fulfilled and he, and he expresses his discontent to his spiritual master and his spiritual master says, well, why don't you go back, why don't you think about it for a while? You're, you're a great sage, concentrate on, what you, on what's there in the Vedic knowledge concentrate on what you have accomplished and and concentrate on your relationship with the Supreme and certainly this dilemma will be resolved for you. So this was the nature of the way that Vyasadeva could resolve his dilemma. So he did concentrate and he concentrated thoroughly and that thorough concentration is led him into a trance of samadhi and in that trance he had revelation so what's the nature of that revelation that's relayed in the first canto in the seventh chapter of the Srimad Bhagavatam in four verses Bhakti Yogena Manasi Samyak prani hite malay apashat purusham purnam mayam chatad apashrayam. 
in that mind which was undisturbed because it was pure from the performance of bhakti he saw Lord Krishna complete with all his energies and spiritual expansions and he also saw Maya who took shelter behind the Lord so Sumati asked a very important question last week what was the nature what was your question what was the nature of the bhakti yeah because he saw all of Krishna's energies and yes. Maya is one of Krishna's energies but it's mentioned separately right and also the fact we brought out that it was in bhakti it was a it, this samadhi was a culmination of a, an intent on his part to perfect his devotional service which was to uplift humanity at large so in that mind he saw the lord complete with all his energies and his spiritual expansions and he also saw Maya, who took shelter behind the Lord. And I think your question related to why did he see Maya? Right? Separately. Separately, yes. Then the next verse, Yaya samohito jiva atmanam iti gunatmakam paropi man nute natham tatkritam chabi pajite bewildered by that maya the jiva though separate from the three gunas considers himself made of the three gunas and takes on material existence created by the gunas so this is the second verse explaining what his revelation is this is part of his samadhi he's seeing the lord he's seeing all the lord's energies both intrinsic his sarup shakti and extrinsic his material energies and he's seeing those conscious particles the jivas then he's seeing that the jivas they're bewildered by that external potency they're separate from the potency but it's bewildering them then goes on to the next verse Anartho pasamam saksad bhakti yogam adoksaje lokasya janato vidvams chakre sattvata samhitam and vyasa bhakti yoga to the Lord which effectively destroys jiva's samsaras. Learn Vyas then wrote the Bhagavatam for ignorant people. So what else did he experience? He saw there's a remedy. There's a remedy here that I can provide that will satisfy my unsatisfied desire. What Narada said has come to fruition. I was not content. I can find contentment. If I can explain this, to suffering humanity. There is an end to your suffering. There is an end to your samsara. And it's bhakti yoga. The next verse, by hearing Bhagavatam, bhakti for the Supreme Lord Krishna appears. 
Hearing is also hearing it also destroys lamentation, illusion, and fear in the human being. Here he sees Pryojan. By this hearing of the Bhagavatam, the living entity can attain bhakti for the Supreme Lord. It becomes manifest. And they attain liberation from suffering and within the material realm. The text of the Bhagavatam goes on to explain that after the revelation, he rewrites the Bhagavat Purana. He'd already presented it, but he hadn't emphasized bhakti as the true purpose, as the topmost objective of the Purana. So he rewrote it, re-emphasizing it. So this evening, so back to the Sandarbhas of Jiva, he's analyzing now these verses. We've gone over the beginning of his analysis, and we're going to continue this evening. So the material miseries of the living entity which are superfluous to him can be directly mitigated by the linking process of devotional service. This is in the section, Anucheda. Uh, Anucheda means uh, a section, a grouping of explanations giving some significant uh, philosophical point for our benefit. So this is in the 31st Anucheda section. There's a support here for this revelation in the Bhagavatam. This verse from Vyasadeva's revelation. The miseries, which are not really of his nature, they're separated from him, can be mitigated by direct linking process of devotional service. The yoga of unalloyed devotion can subdue the material energy. So bhakti, which is an expansion of what? Krishna Swarup Shakti, his internal potency, it can mitigate the sufferings of material existence. That's, that's nice. We should take advantage of that. That's a good thing. So we discussed last week, and again it's brought up in the, in the commentary, when Vyasudeva saw, had his revelation, and he saw the Supreme Lord, Bhagavan, Sri Krishna, in a description of that samadhi, it doesn't mention Paramatma, okay, the Purusha avatars, and Paramatma are not mentioned, Neither is Brahman. So one may question, well, why aren't these mentioned? These are, this is part, Brahmati, Paramatmati, Bhagavan, Iti, Sabjate. But when we look at Bhagavan, Iti, Sabjate, all these are included within Bhagavan. So they don't need to be mentioned separately. If you have a million dollars, we know you have hundred dollars, and we know you have ten dollars. So it's automatic, it's, it's understood that these, this is 
included a full understanding of Paramatma and a full understanding of Brahman is included in a revelation of Bhagavan. So this Sanbandha Tattva, this is the essential topic of the entire Bhagavatam, Bhagavan Sri Krishna. So now going on to Anucheda or section 32, the individual self is distinct, conscious, and subject to self-ignorance. Can you no. that once more? Yeah, that'd be good. The individual self is distinct, individual, conscious, has chit, it's aware, and it's subject to self-ignorance. It can put all of its energy in the wrong place. This is directly from the Anucheda, and I would just hit on the high points. The method Abhideya and Gol Pryogen are based upon the essential distinction between the supreme self and the individual self. So what's Jiva what's Jiva saying here? The method, Abhideya, and the goal Pryogen are based upon the fact that there is a distinction between the individual self and the supreme self. If there was no distinction, there would be no necessity. If they were the same entirely, then there'd be no illusion for the individual self or the Supreme Self would be illusioned along with the individual self. There'd be no need to, to end the suffering of the individual self. And there'd be no, no means to do that. So the goal and the methodology of attaining that goal is fully dependent upon the fact that there's a distinction between the Supreme Atma and the Jivatma. So again, back to the verse. Yaya samohito jiva atmanam tri gunatmakam paropi manyute nartham tatkritam chambipajyate. Due to this external energy, the living entity, although transcendental to the three modes of material nature, thinks himself as a material product and thus undergoes the reactions of material miseries. Truths of Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayogen share an intrinsic connection, means, and goal that must correspond with the subject. So what Jiva is bringing out here is when we look to a Prayogen, a goal for the living entity, there is an intrinsic connection between the methodology employed to attain that goal and all the truths, sambandha, that are the foundation upon which the practice and the attainment, all those things have to be connected. Let's give you a simple example. In relationship to to a specific 
manifestation of the Supreme. So let us say that the environment that you have for knowledge of what is the nature of your being and the nature of the Supreme Being is one wherein the, re the, the ultimate objective put forth in the scriptures as presented by the sadhus that you associate with and the methodology of attaining that goal is the deva, that deity, that supreme deity which draws your heart based on the association of the sadhus and how they present that knowledge. Let's say that the environment is one that presents you with the possibility from the sadhus based on the scriptures, same scriptures, of reverential appreciation for Lakshmi and Narayan in Vaikuntha. What Jiva Goswami is pointing out here is that the Sambandha, the Abhideya, and the Prayojan, they are intrinsically related. What you're going to hear about Lakshmi and Narayan and how they preside and their beautiful features and their glorious servants and their, ma their majestic splendor, lots of Ashvarya in Vaikuntha, the columns of the, of the, temp of the temples and the, the Lord's quarters and his palaces, all of his servants, all that is going to be relayed to you from the scriptures by the sadhu. And that's going to nurture in you a love, an beginning with an appreciation. And that's going to gradually mature through a practice. And what's going to be the Abhideya? Well, the hearing is going to be there from the sadhus, but also you're going to a very, very, a very royal setting. Everything's very, very structured. It's not like our prayo, John, where we want to go play with Krishna in a, in a forest, you know, and we might sleep in one day. There's no sleeping in in Vaikuntha. Everything's on time. Every offering's on time. Everything's perfectly clean. You get my point. Cleanliness is stressed. Cleanliness, the timeliness, the, the majesty, all that's being stressed by the sadhus, they're taking it from the scriptures. And what are you doing? You're worshiping the deity here to worship, worship Lakshmi Narayan there. And your whole, it's a very vaidhi approach. Stricture after stricture to control the mind and senses and worship them in a very reverential way where you have this beatific vision of the supreme. Sambanda, the knowledge you're receiving regarding the Supreme, the Istadev, of the Sampradaya that you're learning from, and the gurus that are representing that Sampradaya, and the information, and the practice, and the goal, all are in harmony. That's the point that Jiva Goswami is making here. Sambanda, Abhideya, and Prayojan are in harmony.
They have an intrinsic connection. So we're speaking about the, the, the likeness and the difference, pointing out that really the fact that there is a distinction between the jivatma and the paramatma, the supreme atma, that distinction is there is the basis for the practice. Without the distinction, if they were the same, there's a little. We're going to take a little sidetrack just to to discuss the way the radical non-dualists view God and the jiva. So we have our way of viewing the supreme and the jiva, but so do those that have a conception of the significance of there not being any duality. We call them radical non-dualists. Radical in their conceptions, they just don't make any sense when put beside what is available right in front of your eyes. You don't if you don't give some fanciful interpretation to what the scriptures are saying. So their conception is Brahman, that supreme, that supreme is not non-dual. But here we are and we're experiencing duality. We're experiencing a distinction in the fact that we have a body we're, we're, and we, we have a conception of the supreme. Where does it come from for the from the for those Advaita bodies? What what are they? How do they explain it away? This is how they do it. They call it an apati. We talked a little bit about that. What's it like? It's like a crystal, an upati. The best way to understand the terminology is take a crystal and put it by the red curtain. And what's it look like? It's a red crystal, or by the blue sky. It's a blue crystal, it's a brown crystal, it's a white crystal. It takes on the characteristics of light around it where you perceive it as the light. So their explanation is this. It's all Brahman. There is no distinction between the Jiva and the Supreme. There's no distinction there. If you take Brahman and you put it next to sattva, pure goodness, well, there's no pure goodness in the material realm, but as good as you can get in the material world, you take that supreme energy of Brahman and you put it in the mode of goodness and we call that God. You put that same substance, that non-dual substance Brahman, and you put it with Rajas or Thomas and you have the Jiva. All you have to do is you have to remove that Brahman from those misconceived notions where it's either God or the Jiva because it's in relationship with the modes of material. Now where the modes came from, that they don't need to, they don't explain. Okay, how did Brahman 
manifest modes of material nature in the first place if it's a non-dual spiritual substance? Well, we won't worry about that. Let's not worry about how that happened. Let's get out of the situation and then you'll understand that it's all an illusion. It's an illu- if it's such an illu- illusion, do, do illusions pinch you? Do you suffer grievously from an illusion? Is that our experience? But they're saying you're, you're suffering because you're in the illusion that you have some association with the mode of passion and ignorance. And you have a conception of God, the Supreme, but that's just Brahman when it's, in a, when it's associated with all goodness. Jiva here is just pointing out the distinction. We need to understand what is this radical non-dualism and do away with the notions that it can put in our, in our consciousness. They just don't make sense. There is, and this is the point that Jiva makes, there is, based on the revelation of Srila Vyasadev, that he saw distinctly, what did he see? He saw the Supreme with all his internal and external potencies. He saw the jiva, and he saw that the jiva was influenced by maya. There were these distinctions, and this was his experience in samadhi. So the next section of this Anucheda, he deals with what is the nature of the consciousness of the jiva? So he's dealt with the fact that there's a distinction between God and the jiva. And that the jiva can become what? Overcome by maya. Even though it's a superior conscious entity, the energy of the Lord can overcome it. One would naturally ask, how is that possible? And the answer is there in the Bhagavatam. We discussed it. What is the answer? The jivatma is infinitesimal in size. It can be empowered, overcome, overpowered because of its small, infinitesimal size. And what? It's unexplicable. It's not logical according to our material understanding. And that's what Maitreya said to Vidura. How is it possible for the conscious jiva to become overcome? It is... It's inconceivable to us, yes. And it's infinitesimal. So that is going to be brought out very strongly in these next couple anuchetas. How that works. It's exciting the way Jiva pulls out these points. So now he goes on to say what is the nature of the Jiva? It has consciousness and what is the nature of that consciousness? It illuminates and it's luminous. So it has awareness of itself and that aware with that awareness it can be conscious of things outside of itself. Jiva makes the point that this inherence of consciousness in the Jiva again refutes this conception 
of upadi put forth by the Advaita bodies, right? Because the jiva has some independent will in the matter. It is an independent consciousness. It doesn't just receive consciousness when it's in proximity to the modes of material nature. Cognitive awareness is part of the jiva's nature. It has awareness. Conscious of itself, conscious of things around it. Now we talk a little bit about maya. Jiva goes on in the next section of this. Tasmai namo bhagavate vasudevaya di mahi yanmayaya dojayaya mam vedanti jagat guru. I offer obeisances to Sri Bhagavan before whom the external energy is ashamed to stand. Being bewildered by her, those devoid of insight boast of I and mine. So Maya knows, she's aware of, she has consciousness too. So she's aware of the fact that she has a thankless task. Bewildering the living beings doesn't please Bhagavan. But it is her service. And what inspires her? What pushes her to perform a thankless task that the Supreme is not really pleased with? What pushes her on? Maya cannot tolerate the personality. Maya cannot tolerate the perversion of the root attention. And this word root, we'll explain a little bit. The root attention of the jiva not being directed towards Bhagavan Sri Krishna. She just can't she can't deal with this. The jiva being covered in such a way that he cannot appreciate the glories and all the everything that is Krishna. Now if you really think about that, it's, there's some significance to her her feeling. See just it's like you have Krishna and you want to be the center? Here's Krishna who could not love every single particle, everything about him. There's so much good about him, you could never even reach an end of explaining that. Everything, everything that's good, lovable, pleasant, pleasing, beautiful, generous, merciful. I mean, unlimited abundance of the of the energies and the beauty of what is the Supreme Lord and you have no appreciation for that? That you you can't turn your awareness to that? You'd rather be enamored by yourself and dead matter? She's, she's like, I, I can't deal with this. I'm going to keep you, uh, you need to be, You. I can't let you in. How can you? How can you? So but then, does she want to bring them in? yes, that comes out. 
she has her her task is there and when the when the when the jiva begins to turn his consciousness his awareness his root his root awareness so root attention what do we mean by root attention that means ever it all everything everything about your existence it all needs to be turned to that supreme personality bodily vital energy emotional mental intellectual a full turning of all everything that is us and everything that we can do all of our energy that's that's the objective of the abhideya of the practice it's a full turning of our core awareness our core consciousness our core being towards the supreme then we deal with anadi and this the way it's presented here we begin to get an understanding of of what is entailed in entering into the contemplative life that's required for spiritual advancement a contemplative life dependent upon shastra so i'll run through these points since it's getting a little late and if necessary we can discuss them a little more deeply so from the bhagavad gita we have this verse talking about the nature of the jiva and maya their eternal nature as as beginningless their relationship as being beginningless prakritim purusham chaiva vidhi anadi ubhavyapi from the 13th chapter material nature and the living entities should be understood to be beginningless their transformations and the modes of matter are products of material nature so vishwanath in his commentary to this verse says the following according to this statement of mine because both maya and the jiva are my energy this is a trait of vishwanath's commentaries he speaks on krishna's behalf a lot in his commentaries if you read his bhagavatam commentary he's you would think you're, you could say well he's putting words in krishna's mouth or he's hearing the words from krishna's mouth <laughs> but he likes to give us that perspective he says here according to this statement of mine because both maya and the jiva are my energy they are without beginning the supreme purusha is what he's without beginning so they're my energy they also have no beginning i have i'm beginningless they're beginningless and therefore their rela- relationship is also without beginning and jiva pulls this out what does this do for us it answers two questions it answers the why question regarding our existence and the when question why well it's beginningless so it has no prior cause there's no cause to why 
It's beginningless. How can you have? If it's always been happening, there was nothing initially that precipitated. Anadi answers the question of why. Well, there is no why because there was never a time that it wasn't. So why? Why am I here? Why is this? Why? Why Why is there karma? No, these are Krishna's energies. They're both Krishna's energies. Krishna says in Bhagavad Gita, and they're both beginningless. So this answers the inquiry why, and what else? When? Anadi. There's never a time that it, it began. It's always been like this. Now there are cycles, of course we know, they're manifest, both Maya and the Jivas. The material energy is manifest and unmanifest. So there's cycles of being manifest and unmanifest, but that doesn't interfere with the with the beginningless nature of the Jivatma and the Maya Shakti. So this brings us to a very important understanding, which I'll close with this evening. When we look to statements like this, either from Krishna directly these are my energies they're beginningless like me I've always been here they've always been here and that in and of itself you would say well I'm not satisfied that doesn't satisfy my intellect and that's where in order to understand these kinds of explanations one important thing is we have to be able to accept the conclusions of Shastra. Once we have that in place, that we can accept the conclusion of the Shastra, and we contemplate that conclusion, the revelation, the understanding, the dissipation of the, any misconception any anartha, any misplaced value that may be there, that revelation will come automatically. That is the result of this kind of having faith in the directives of higher authority, having confidence in scripture and the, what the guru is giving that's for my best interest and then all these contradictions that come and how do they come that's exactly one of the verses right Vyasadeva saw a means and what's the word in the in the sixth verse four five and six the sixth verse is Vyas saw bhakti yoga to the Lord which effectively destroys Jiva's samsara How's the, what's the Sanskrit at the beginning of the verse? Anartho pasamam. Anartha. Destroys the anarthas, destroys the misconceptions. Bhakti is the means that destroys the misconceptions. Now we'll go on as we proceed in, in the Anuchetas regarding this revelation. It'll be revealed that this sadhu sangha and this constant hearing of the Bhagavatam 
is like a salve to completely dissipate the miseries of material existence. This is the solution. And that's what Vyasadev saw here. That this is the means by which all material miseries can be eliminated. So it's kind of a, it is a science. Any questions? Yes. Um, so, <clears throat> um, Advaitins are offensive to the Lord. I think Prabhupada says because um, they don't accept his eternal form. So I'm wondering for those jivas who attain Brahmasyuja, mm-hmm. do they um, they accept the eternal supreme form, but they think Brahmasyuja is higher? There's a uh, verse in the Bhagavatam. I can look it up for you. And Vishwanath's commentary in relation to that verse explains what the system is. This is not for the... There's two classifications. We say the radical non-dualists we would call what? Mayavadis. Mm-hmm. They have misconceptions. There are also Brahmavadis who want to merge Sayuja Mukti. They want to merge into the form of the Lord, but they, they utilize the proper methodology. And that methodology requires what? There has to be a tinge of bhakti. Mm-hmm. So they follow us they follow a system whereby they accept the form of the Lord, they worship that form of the Lord with the objective of entering into it, and then as part of their contemplation, they release it, release the specific form, and can enter into Brahman. But that's not considered offensive. No, that's the proper. So the offensive is... It really is, there's nothing there but misconception. That's what Sankaracharya did. He presented a, an unauthorized system. He just made it up as he went along. He gave his own interpretation. So there is the proper methodology, and then, and that, and Vishwanath is just, uh, he's, his commentary is, and they're actually, it, in the verse, it says they experience the bliss of, of, of that form. And still they give it up. He considers their mind. He he likens their mind to a, a iron fish hook, where they've caught the they've caught the catch of the day, and then they because they they have an iron heart, it doesn't melt. Their iron like heart, and they. So, um, so they accept that there's. This eternal supreme form but there are some scars so strong that they they just prefer to merge into it the Brahmavadis yes and the the Sankarites the Mayavadis we would call them who think the form of the Lord is just Maya Mm -hmm. well they never they never attain liberation there's a verse in the Bhagavatam that speaks to that so my question is if they accept that there's a form why don't they want to um have something more than Brahmasyuja? That's exactly visual. Why? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Why? He can't understand it either. Mm-hmm. Because they, he says they experience the bliss of the Lord's form and then they give it up. How is this possible? It can only be because their heart is, is an iron heart. The, the Brahmavadis? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
because they experience the bliss of the form of the Supreme and then they give it up in order to attain their objective. Inconceivable. Yeah, I mean, it still doesn't kind of make sense, but I guess something... It doesn't make sense, yes. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. To us, to a Gaudi, it makes no sense. That's a fact, yes. But it's still available to them if that's their desire. Mm-hmm. Krishna's so kind. You want to be a fool? He says, fine. Yeah. So, hopefully a bhakti will, bhakti will, will have some intent for their betterment. That's the only way that if they do merge with the Lord, that's the only way that they, that's their only hope once that merging has happened. Is at some time they've served a bhakti and the bhakti hears, oh my gosh, he merged into the form of the Lord, but he rendered some service to me and he feels some compassion and his intent in their regard is is their saving grace if, if it exists at all. But when they merge, what do they experience? They become one with the Supreme. So they experience everything that the Lord experiences. Yeah, independent of personal, any personal exchanges, any personal energies. There's no, there's no loving exchange there. Thank you so much for your association. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.